It is uh, the fourth and final week in this sermon series called Practicing the Way of Jesus. If you've been enjoying it, wave your hand at me so I know you've been enjoying it. All right, excellent. If you've been practicing something, wave your hand at me so I know you've been practicing. Oh, that's awesome. I'm very encouraged by that. Well, uh, you know how this goes, right? You're already seeing so, but I got another t-shirt today. You know, two weeks ago, I had one that said, Unwind. And it was this reminder to use the practices of pacing and Sabbath uh, to unwind from the things that got us wound so tight, to find rest by moving at the rhythm and the pace of Jesus. Last week, my shirt said, be still and know that he is God. And we talked about the practice of silence and solitude, getting in the quiet place to hear the voice of God. So this shirt says, I got to move out here, maybe pull it like this so you can see it. It says, pray more, worry less. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. So there's been this like subtle theme I haven't actually said that's been going on during the sermon series. And I thought maybe if we did a quick review of each of the three weeks, you might pick up on it. Uh, Two things from each week. Week one, we said society is built to encourage you to practice the way of the phone, not the way of Jesus. And we said that godly practices keep you from drifting with society and away from the Lord. The second week, we talked about getting busy or distracted and how a lot of us actually flip back and forth between these different paces of the world. We talked about pacing and Sabbath as practices that pull us out of the world's paces and yoke us to Jesus. And then last week, we read this quote that said, the noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input that we most need. So the practices so far have this starting point of like withdrawing from something or like abstaining from something. Are you kind of seeing that as we do the review? You withdraw from society's pull. You abstain from busyness by choosing to slow down and yoke yourself to Jesus. Maybe abstaining from work one day of the week for a Sabbath rest. Withdrawing from noise to get in the quiet place and hear God's voice. So those practices that we've talked about so far far can be called practices of abstinence, one way to describe it. Um, We definitely don't sit around doing nothing in those practices though, right? (laughs) Silence and solitude didn't mean sitting in total, absolute silence doing nothing. Um, We talked about, you know, prayers that would yoke us to Jesus. Um, Resting even includes time with family and friends and worshiping the Lord. We talked about reading and meditating on scripture as part of our practices. Um, Journaling. So there are plenty of things to do, but kind of the starting point of pacing and Sabbath and silence and solitude is this pulling back from something else. Well, today we're going to talk about what I'm calling practices of engagement. And these right off the bat are very action oriented. All right. So it's a little bit of a shift. And I just wanted to read you, this is just such a great way of talking about these two types of practices. It says, abstinence and engagement counterbalance and support one another. They're the outbreathing and inbreathing of our spiritual lives. A proper abstinence breaks the hold of improper engagements. So the soul can be properly engaged in and by God. Is that making sense? 
two kinds of practices that work together. And the pulling back ones actually free us up to better engage with God. That's the idea. So some of us will actually tend naturally toward one type or the other. Our personality, our makeup, our life experiences may make one type, maybe the withdrawing type. I kind of tend toward those naturally, right? Oh, I'll walk in the woods, you know, getting quiet and looking out my window while I sip my coffee. I like that one a lot, naturally. Some of you have a different personality makeup. And the action-oriented ones we're going to talk about today, you're like, I've been waiting for these. I love these. But the idea is that they work together. And ultimately, we need both types to be spiritually healthy and to grow and mature. So I've got six practices of engagement I hope to touch on this morning. They're Bible reading, prayer, worship, church, service, and generosity. Um, We're going to touch on six of these. I won't spend a ton of time on each, um, but these are practices of engagement, stuff you can do and build into your life, just like the other practices we've talked about during the series. So let's start with Bible reading. We've covered this like really, really well this year. Have you noticed? (laughs) We spent December talking about Jesus is the word, which is very scripture oriented. We talked in the whole month of January about, you know, different ways to read and intake scripture. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning because we've covered it well. Uh, But the Lord has spent thousands of years writing and preserving scripture for us. It's important that we engage with it. Jesus is the word. It all points to him. And that's what it's all about. So the ways that we've talked about um, using the practice of Bible reading is the reading plan. We're doing a reading plan as a church together. If you're doing it on paper, it's the big red Bible, Bible in one year reading plan. If you're using the app, it's red too. Um, And it's been really good. It's got different types. You can do the classic cover to cover, get every word of the Bible in a year. You've got the express version, which takes selections from those same chapters. And there's a youth version. And in the app, you got uh, commentary and other things, kind of devotional material to help you engage. So it's just a wonderful way to get God's word in you this year. In January, Pastor Cameron talked about apps and books for studying the word. And last week... Yeah, last week we talked about biblical meditation. Do you remember the muttering? Muttering scripture? Maybe, what were the other words for it? Do you guys remember? Coup was one. What was Pondering? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, muse, ponder. Yeah, all those ideas. We take the scripture and we muse over it. We kind of mutter about it. The idea is you just let it simmer in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit. And you know what? This biblical meditation is a buy one, get one free. Today only, New Day. It's a BOGO just for you here at church. If you meditate on the same scripture for a little while, you actually memorize it. You know, if you're anything like me, those fruits of the spirit, you got love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. And you're like, somewhere in the middle, it gets a little confusing. All the nesses, they end in nests. And it's like, uh, where'd they go? But if you do that idea we talked about of breathing in and breathing out each fruit of the spirit, you can have the Bible in front of you to help you, you know, and then you learn them and then you got it memorized. It's a little fringe benefit. All right. So that's Bible reading. 
We're doing a great job of that this year. By the way, I'm so encouraged when I hear about you guys doing your reading plan, something you're getting out of it. You can see, you know, Carrie talked about it this morning. I, I talk about it every week in the sermon. I'm getting a lot out of it. I'm enjoying doing it together. It's, it's encouraging me to hear you guys too. All right, our second practice of engagement is prayer. We've actually been talking about prayer all throughout this series without saying the word prayer. Um, but prayer is saying back to God what's in his word. That's a common form of prayer. So this biblical meditation is, is really kind of prayer. Um, this week in our reading plan, on Tuesday, we read a verse in Psalm 36, 7, and it lends itself so well to this. It says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. So can you just see it as one of those biblical meditations? You get quiet, your phone's put away, maybe your coffee or tea with you, and you're alone, and you start to breathe in and out. Ah, and you start to pray, God, your love is so steadfast. Your love is precious to me. I take refuge in the shadow of your wings. What an awesome prayer, right? What a prayer prompt and a starting point and launching pad for your practice of prayer with the Lord. So like I said, we've been covering prayer without saying it. Prayer is so many things. We're not going to talk about all of these today, but we got to throw them out there and get them rolling around in your brain. It's talking to God. I think we think of that first, but it's also listening it's thanking him and praising him. It's bringing our requests to him and bringing the requests of others, you know, uh, praying for others and lifting up their needs. It's pouring out our heart, our emotions, what we're going through. That includes things like grieving. When we grieve, we bring it to the Lord in prayer. It's in prayer that we confess our sins and receive forgiveness from God. It's in prayer that we forgive those who have sinned against us. Prayer is about abiding and worshiping him. A balanced prayer practice includes all these ways of communicating with God. So I do want to highlight one aspect of prayer this morning. This is the one we're going to just park on for a second. Because I feel like it's a word from the Lord for today, right now for us. Here's how I'd put it into words. Anxiety turns to peace in the practice of prayer. Anxiety turns to peace in the practice of prayer. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anxiety turns to peace in the practice of prayer. So if you're struggling with anxiety, first of all, you're not alone. <laughs> Statistically, this is happening more and more because of what we've lived through in the last couple of years. You know, and anecdotally, <laughs> you know, we're going through this. Others are too. We're, I'm hearing about it. I'm experiencing it too. Anxiety has ramped up in our day. 
But the practice of silence and solitude, that breathing in and out, that praying the scriptures is a real key to dealing with it. The promise of scripture is that the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind if you do this, if you pray. Did you know anxiety is a feeling? It's like an emotion or a, a feeling that just kind of happens. Emotions happen. But worry is often what we do with the feeling of anxiety. Does that make sense? Anxiety comes on. There are other things we do with it too. There, there are many destructive habits people can form due to anxiety, turning to drugs and alcohol and, or whatever the thing is. But worry is such a common action we take when we feel the emotion of anxiety. So we can do our part of dealing with this feeling well. When we feel anxiety, we can do our part of dealing with it well by taking the action of prayer. We can breathe in and out. We can go, love, joy. What's the next one? Peace. See how that works? <laughs> yeah. And when we feel anxious, sometimes we need that peace one multiple times. It's okay to stop. It's okay to do all peace some mornings or some evenings instead of hitting all nine. Peace. So that's what today's t-shirt was about. <laughs> you probably guessed. Pray more. Worry less. We're not going to necessarily avoid the feeling of anxiety all the time. We're dealing with a lot. We've been dealing with a lot. You know, anxious situations are still going to come up. But we can do our part by choosing prayer as our go-to over worry. The New Bible Commentary says, When prayer replaces worry, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, comes in. And that peace acts as a sentry, guarding the Christian's mind and emotions from being overwhelmed by the sudden onrush of fear, anxiety, or temptation. Like I said, I feel like this is a word of the Lord for today, right now. And uh, a good friend said uh, last week or the week before that they were practicing some of the stuff we've talked about this month and putting away the phone for a few hours, and that the anxiety level went from here down, you know? And they were praying on the drive to work as well. And it was just helping bring down that level so that the little things that come up don't put us over the top. That's the idea. And I just firmly, firmly believe if you practice prayer, if you get quiet and still and alone, you do those breathing biblical meditations especially the fruits of the Spirit, you're going to experience more freedom from anxiety. Um, I did want to say, too, that, um, you know, pursuing medical help and counseling with an issue of anxiety is a good thing to do, you know? I'm just saying, let's not forget prayer. Let's not forget the spiritual uh, aspect of this issue as well. Does that make sense? All right. Excellent. Okay. Moving on. Worship. We did this this morning really well, guys. But there are so many physical expressions of worship. 
I just wanted to get these rolling around in your brain when you think about the practice of worship. It includes singing and bowing down and raising hands and clapping. It's one of my favorites. Shouting, dancing, laying down before the Lord, playing instruments, and this idea of bringing a gift or a sacrifice to the Lord as well. One of the biblical words for worship means to give loud, boisterous support for the Lord. Another means to give him commendation, to praise his work. It's thanksgiving. Yet another means to offer service. So it's like putting ourselves in the position of servant to God, acknowledging him as Lord and master. Another of the words for worship includes a sense of reverence and ritual. So this is where something like communion fits into our whole picture of worship. The easiest way to practice worship is to come to church and join the family of believers in lifting up praise and worship to the Lord in song. We do that every week at New Day. I think we do it really well. (laughs) Judging by the level of the presence of the Lord that I feel, we do it really well. So it's a great way to practice worship in your life is come here and sing, stand by somebody who's really good at it and let their practice of worship encourage you. Come and worship and be really good at it and let your practice encourage somebody else. We take communion every first Sunday of the month as well. You know, you can come and do that together and encourage one another in that. But let's challenge ourselves to expand our practice of worship. You know, if your comfort zone is clapping like me, let's, let's raise those hands, you know. Let's bow on those knees. You know, move around the room. I encourage you to do that a lot. And it's helpful. Um, <laughs> it truly is helpful to move, to kneel, to go somewhere where you're not in your normal comfort zone. And God will meet you there. Try it out. See if I'm right. But let's push the boundaries of our comfort zones when it comes to this practice. All right, the next practice is church. Guess what? You're all doing one of the practices of engagement right now. If you're here in this room, you're at church. And the gathering of believers has been a part of God's plan for thousands of years. Many of the books of the New Testament are written to churches just like us, gatherings of believers in a particular place at a particular time. In several of these letters of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul calls the church the body of Christ. When we make Jesus our Lord and Savior, we become part of his body, and we're said to be in Christ. The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible said, to be in Christ is to be a new creation. But for Paul, this is not just an individual experience. To be in Christ is at the same time to be in the church. There is for Paul no such thing as a Christian in isolation. To be a Christian is to be incorporated in a community, fleshing out this reality in its common life and work. That's a bold statement, isn't it? It's a bold statement in our day and age that there's no such thing as a Christian in isolation. But we're meant to be incorporated into community. Like I said, if you're here today, you're doing that. Great job. 
But body parts are connected. You know what I mean? They do stuff and they work together in coordination with one another. Imagine if you could, a person who was nothing but a head and a left pinky toe. Just think about that. That is an odd looking person. Maybe you're picturing me as that right now. Just a little pinky toe right under my chin. <laughs> it got weird, didn't it? <laughs> uh, so little pinky toe Bill, is that a picture of a functioning body? No, and it's very strange indeed. The toe can't even exist without like a heart and arteries and veins and a foot and a leg and a torso. So the practice of going to church connects us. It makes us whole. And when we are connected and whole, we're the body of Christ. And he can do something with his body. Unfortunately, in our modern American independence, it sometimes gets in the way of being the body of Christ. It's really easy to slip into thinking about church like other things. It's really easy to think about church without even realizing it, to think about church like a movie, like it's there for entertainment, you know, like, oh, the songs were really good or the preacher was funny, which is every week I'm up here, right? <laughs> back to the point. It's really easy to think about church like a movie or entertainment sometimes without even realizing it. Instead of thinking about it like being a member of a body, it's really easy to think about church like a TED Talk. Like it's there for inspiration and motivation or to bring you some new awesome idea. Instead of thinking about it as a body where you're connected and part of a whole, and there to do something. It's really easy to let the lack of convenience get in the way of being the body of Christ. We're so used to things like DoorDash and Amazon. <laughs> they come to our door, they provide a service, and we can just slip into thinking about church in that category without even realizing it. So my encouragement is to make a regular practice of coming to church, getting connected and contributing. Be the body. We need you. You're a part of it. That's a terrific segue, Bill. The next practice of engagement is service. Contributing, being the body is the practice of service, serving. Jesus said, the son of man, that's his title for himself throughout the gospels as you read. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Practicing the way of Jesus definitely includes a posture of serving others. It's the posture of our Lord and of so many of his followers who have gone before us. Just think about the night before he was crucified. In the Gospel of John, what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. That's the one I was thinking of. Yes, the other answers were right too. <laughs> but he washed his disciples' feet. Remember, Peter freaked out about it. 
Like, you're not going to wash my feet. The Messiah is going to wash my dirty fisherman feet. No way. But Jesus insisted because he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's the posture of our Lord and Savior. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. You can practice serving here at New Day by joining a team, doing stuff, being connected with the body of Christ. You can also serve and share this heart of our Lord and Savior in the broader community of Kalamazoo. When you serve in the community, you're a representative of our Lord and Savior. The next practice is generosity. It's really similar to serving, you guys. When you serve, you give your time. The practice of generosity is about giving your money. And the heart of generosity is this. God has been so generous with me, I'm going to be generous toward him and toward others. So we look at Jesus. He gave his life for us. He suffered and died on the cross while we were still his enemies. Before we even knew him, he died for us. And when we see him freely give it all, we are motivated to give it all too. His heart of generosity motivates ours. So I just want to touch briefly on four types of generosity. Tithing, giving to missions, first fruits, and the giving of alms. So tithe means tenth, 10%. Isn't the Lord gracious to give us easy math? <laughs> Not everyone is an engineer a couple of days a week, and I understand that. You know, I could whip you up a spreadsheet if you needed help, but you don't. You just move a decimal point in this case. <laughs> the practice of tithing means giving 10% of your income to the Lord. We read about it this week in our Bible reading plan in Numbers chapter 18. It said that God gives the tithe to those who work in his service. Go check out Numbers 18:21. And the Lord promises a massive blessing on his people when they are faithful to the tithe. Um, if you've been around church for a while, somebody's read you this, but I'm going to read it to you again. And if you're not aware of it, get ready. This is an awesome passage. In Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. See, God, when we give our tithe, it's not God taking from us 10% of what's ours. It's actually unleashing the blessing of the Lord as we're faithful. He gives us so much more. He is so faithful. And he doesn't say, test me in this a whole lot. But he does here. <clears throat> and I've experienced his faithfulness as I've done this practice. He is so faithful. The other thing that tithing is, is a protection for us. You know, our hearts are easily tempted 
to worship money. We think that it can provide for us. We think that it can like tame this chaotic world and bring it under our control. Like if we just have enough in the bank account, you know, in the 401k savings, if our nest egg is good, then we can retire easily and the world will be under our control and everything will be okay. That's a temptation to worship money. If we think like that, we actually become slaves to money and it prevents us from being a servant of God. Jesus put it this way. You cannot serve God and money. It's true whether we have a lot or a little. So giving 10% of our income to the Lord puts money in its place. It's a practice that keeps money in its place. And it opens up our life for the blessing of the Lord to flow. There's more that could be said about that. That's good for now. In uh, Philippians chapter four, we were in there earlier, weren't we? Yeah, we're back to Philippians four. It talks about missions giving. Paul says, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So a church in the new Testament is giving to support someone who's traveling to spread the gospel. That's missions giving right there here at new day. We support missionaries in Japan and Peru. We support a ministry in Malawi, Africa. We also recently sent pastor Cameron on a short term missions trip with uh, financial provision And it was abundant. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and your generosity church. And I did hear from him. He's doing very well. Um, The church is blessed by you and the gift you sent and by sending him and uh, amazing things are happening there. We look forward to hearing more when he returns. So missions giving it's on the envelope. You can find out more about it. You can check the bulletin board for updates from the missionaries that we support. So first fruits is another uh, practice of generosity. This is giving the first of your harvest to the Lord. We find it in Leviticus 23 verse 10 says, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. So the idea is when harvest time comes in an agricultural society, you take that very first and best and you give it to the Lord. It honors God with the first and best. And it's also an expression of trust in his provision. It's like saying, God, here's the very beginning of the harvest. I trust the rest of it to be really good. If you bless it. And if I'm faithful to you, that's the idea of first fruits. This one is a little harder to understand and you have to kind of translate it into our modern day um, for how you actually go about practicing it. Um, So my suggestion is if you get a new source of income, like a new bonus or a raise, or maybe the first paycheck at a new job, you can give that as a first fruits, the first of a new harvest. Um, And the first fruits offering goes to the priests we read about in Uh, Leviticus and in numbers where we're reading in our Bible reading plan. Um, So it's God's gift to the priestly order because it's the Lord's. 
So when you give this offering, you do so to the priest in your life. So when I give a first fruits offering, it goes to pastor Cameron. That's how I do it. Uh, yes. Our last practice of generosity is alms giving. Alms just means giving to the poor and needy. And it's a huge emphasis in the early church. So the apostle Paul, we talked about him as a missionary. He and his missionary team meet with the pillars of the church in Jerusalem. And they have this discussion like, Hey, what does the church look like? It's new. Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And he appeared to Paul and we're his 11 remaining. We elected a 12th, you know, all that stuff happening in the book of acts. And, uh, they decide, all right, Paul, you and your crew go to the Gentiles, the people who are not Jewish and us guys here in Jerusalem, we're going to go to the Jewish people. And when they send Paul, they, he says, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So we see both in the Jewish community and in the Gentile community, alms was a big part of the early church. It's all over the old Testament too. practices like the land Sabbath, where you don't harvest in the seventh year and whatever is produced by the land in and of itself. And of the Lord is available for the poor and needy gleaning is something you can find in the old Testament as an example as well. So these four ways of practicing generosity, they use money to position our hearts properly in the kingdom of God. We're using the money to do something else. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the idea. All right. We're coming to the end of this series, practicing the way of Jesus. And it's like, how do we sum up what we talked about? How do we kind of pull it all together? What's the main point? You know, and it's, Jesus, (laughs) our God became a man. He lived and died on a cross. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. He is victorious over death and sin. He offers us forgiveness of sins and restored relationship with God, a new life in him. That's the center of everything. And these practices are about abiding in him. That's what they're all there for, to help us abide in him. Whether we're engaging or pulling back from things to engage with him. It's all about abiding in Jesus. He said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You remember the first week when I put this picture up there and we talked about a trellis. The trellis is the thing that holds up the vine. It's a structure. Practices, we said, are the structure that holds up our spiritual life to help us abide and bear fruit like Jesus talked about in John 15. These practices are there to support that in your life. Without that support, our spiritual life will grow weak and will not produce good, abundant fruit. All right. 
What do we do? We're ending the series. What do we do with it? How do we take it with us and put it into practice? So I got a couple of suggestions for you. My first one, go buy some (laughs) t-shirts. They're really fun. And apparently you can wear them to church. I'll have a collar next week. I'll be back to normal. (laughs) But what I mean by go buy t-shirts, you don't literally have to go buy t-shirts, you guys. But if you want to know where to buy some, I can make a recommendation. But the idea is I bought these t-shirts because I was on a journey with the Lord, you know, and I wanted some prompt in my life, some reminder that said, Hey Bill, how's it going? So when I go pull a t-shirt off the shelf, sometimes one of these comes up and I'm face to face with it. And it's like, Oh, how am I doing with unwinding? Sometimes I think of a few minutes before or the night before and I go, Oh, maybe not so good. (laughs) Maybe I was a little, snippy with my wife or kids or something. It can help me get back on track. So think about how can you put some reminders in your life to support the practices you've put in place? And then I want to say, you know what? You can hit, we talked a lot about a lot of practices, but you can hit a lot of these by doing just a couple things. If you do a consistent daily quiet time, where you get alone and quiet, where your phone is put away on mute, silent, power down, whatever it is. You open your Bible, you breathe, you mutter scripture, you muse on it. It turns to prayer. You worship and you thank him, maybe using Psalms like we talked about this morning. And then when you turn your phone back on, you can tell your bank to send your tithe check into church. And there you go. You've hit a whole bunch all at once. You know, and then the other thing you can do is just come to church consistently. Make that a practice of being at church to worship together. We're helping you dig deeper into the Bible with Bible-based sermons every week. It's another opportunity where those envelopes are in front of you. You can think about the missionaries. Sometimes they come through and we'll have a missionary here next week. Pastor Mitko will be here next week. So yeah, John Yerti just came recently and shared about what's going on in Peru. So coming to church prompts that missions giving as well. You can serve on a team to make church happen, to make a welcoming place for new people who don't maybe don't even know Jesus. And you spend time getting connected to the body of Christ when you're here. You know, and you could pair that if you want to, when you go home with the Sabbath rest, it's a great time to do it. You know, where you spend time with friends and family, we don't go back to entertainment, but you just spend that focused time in rest with the Lord, you know, so that daily time and that weekly time, you can hit a lot of the stuff that we talked about. So however you choose, oh, I forgot one slide there. There we go. However you choose to approach it, guys, my request is do it in a sustainable way. So I would love, I would, oh my goodness. I would love for people to come up to me when the next yearbook comes out, the 2022 yearbook and annual report. And it's got the whole sermon series from the whole year. 
and somebody comes up and goes, I remember that practicing series and I did it. You know, I have, I've had a consistent quiet time since then for a year, even if it's only five minutes, that's wonderful. And it'll change your life. A consistent daily quiet time. And I'd rather have that than everybody run to the hermitage for a five day silent retreat. I mean, ideally do both because the hermitage is awesome. I love it there. And, and a silent retreat is a good way to shock the system and, and be like, wow, I didn't realize how plugged in to society I was and how much I needed to unplug and rest and do the things that we've talked about. Um, but rather than try to do some big thing, put something in that's like what engineer people like to call incremental change. Small incremental changes become big change over time. So consider that as you process uh, the series from this month. Um, It's like we said at the beginning of the whole series, we become what we practice. So the Lord bless you new day as you practice the way of Jesus. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. And then we do have one more announcement as well. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning, God, for time of worship in your presence for learning from your word, for these practices that we can use to engage with you, God, where we can get alone with you and be transformed, where we can engage and be part of your body and see your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's a blessing to be a part of that, God. I love my church. I love New Day. It's a great body to be a part of. These people are so faithful and generous. They serve you. And I pray you'd bless that today, this week, this year. Lord, help us to make some sustainable incremental changes in our lives to grow in you. And God, would you just continue to release your healing? I pray you'd release freedom from anxiety this morning. People who have just carried that for a long time. I pray you just free them as they're faithful to turn to prayer as a practice. When they breathe in and breathe out your Holy Spirit, the fruits of your spirit, your word, I pray you'd release healing from anxiety and all the other things that burden us. Let us be faithful to use that freedom for the good of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.